This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery. Bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. There we go. Jamie, we are live. Good, uh, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Talking Devils, the leading independent Manchester United podcast. Um, before we kick off, remember to like and subscribe. Um, I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm once again joined by former United goalkeeper Luke Steele and author Wayne Barton. Um, if you're watching us live on YouTube, please feel free to get your comments in. Um, and if you're listening back to us on uh, whatever podcast service you use, please remember to leave us a review as well. It really helps. Uh, firstly, obviously, morning, lads. It's lovely to see you again. Good to be back on. Um, how are we feeling after last night? That's the big question. Luke, I'll come to you. How, how are you feeling? I'm feeling really good. Um, me and Wayne just had a chat before. He sounds like he's very excited, even though his face doesn't say it. Um, which is nice to see because I've not seen Wayne smile much since I started this podcast. So it's, it's, um, yeah. He's quite a serious guy, but it's nice to see him happy. And I know that he went to the game. Unfortunately, I wasn't there. But, um, of course, watched it all live. And um, it was just such a, a better performance. Obviously, the result was fantastic. Um, but the performance was brilliant. I think they, they must have picked up on a few things from this podcast um, last week because, you know, obviously it didn't take a rocket scientist to to point certain things out, but they certainly did change the way they played, especially from the back. Um, you know, I think it was Gary Neville or Carragher pointed out, <laughs> you know, that De Gea didn't go long at all. Uh, sorry, didn't go short at all. And, you know, it worked and... I think the I mean, you tell me, guys, the atmosphere, me and my friends all watched it together and the atmosphere on the TV seemed electric and you could just feel it through, you know, the background noise and, and, and off the side of the pitch. You tell me, though. Yeah, I mean, again, unfortunately, I couldn't get there either. Um, and I was absolutely gutted. It's one of those games where you sit there and think, you know, out of what, out of the whole season, that's the one that you sort of think I was desperate to get to. Uh, but unfortunately, since I've only just come back from York, so getting back down to United is um, is a bit of a nightmare at the minute in terms of money. But Wayne, talk to me. Luke's hit the nail on the head. It is nice to see you smiling. Nice to see you clearly buzzing off last night's result. Talk to me about the game. How was it? Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere, like Luke said, was incredible. Obviously, you had the pre-match stuff for the protests, and that all added to it. There was a, a massive defiance with Casemiro being... Uh, everyone sort of knew that he was going to be presented beforehand. We all expected that to happen. So when he came out, he got the reception, but it was all the glazers out. You know, like, it was accompanied with the glazers out and everything like that, and it was... Obviously, the big thing, Luke will know this definitely more than me, but when you're at Old Trafford and the music's turned off before for like the first 30 minutes before kickoff and they only put it on for for the walkout, you know immediately that it's going to be a, an incredible atmosphere. So you want to get... I know that there was a, a large part of the support undivided about whether to go in or not early, you know, all that sort of stuff. But when you are in there early and the music's not on and the you know anticipation's building and everything like that, it's... It's different, Old Trafford under the lights. It's, it's just different. So, and I, I, you wonder if that's conducive to what, what follows because really, we, none of us. Like we would, we've done loads of podcasts over the last week, and 
although we were talking about the issues, like Luke said, it's funny how like every single issue that we've pointed out has been sort of eradicated in, in that performance, but still the expectation was that the team couldn't turn it around that quickly and you know that we're still gonna get beaten quite heavily. So as soon as as soon as like Ben says in the comments, the aggression and the character shown by the players, it was like evident from like the first five minutes and the crowd really responded to it. And as soon as they responded to that and the players were up for it a little bit more, it just sort of snowballed into this incredible performance that we saw. And yeah, it was just I mean <laughs> You said that you look forward to it, Jamie. It's the worst game of the season for me. I hate it. Like honestly, I hate the. F it's worse when it's a, a. You know, it used to be better because they'd have it at twelve o'clock. They'd always have the United Liverpool would be twelve thirty on a Saturday, so nobody would be drinking. You'd just get up, go to the game, get it over and done with. And if it was good, you could ex you could be excited and celebrating. If it was bad, then you know at least it was at the start of the day and you can get on with your day. When it's the eight o'clock kickoff, you've got all the day of dread, expecting United to get, you know, wipe the floor with, and then, yeah, the anxiety of watching it unfold, especially like you know, we were two 0 up at one point, and like I just turned to the side and just went, I don't think we'll get beat. <laughs> two 0 up. That was my response. Like, no, oh, we're definitely going to win now. I don't think <laughs> we'll get beat now. And then when they scored, like with ten minutes to go, I'm like, oh. You know, here we go again. But they, it's because Liverpool are a great side, and you know United have done so well to that point, and you're wondering how those energy levels are going on. I know we'll talk about the game properly in a moment, but the atmosphere was incredible, and it is one of those things. You know, when they're not on the crowd, when they're not on the team's back, when they're actually behind them, it does make a difference. And I'm not like saying, "Oh, we've got to get behind every poor performance," but you've seen the difference that it makes. So use that energy for something good because it was absolutely incredible last night. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely looked it. And also, um, when I said that, I, you know, I look forward to them, I think retrospectively, I look forward to it. After we've won, it's easy for me to go, oh, yeah, I wasn't buzzing last night. Because I'm with you. I, I've, I don't think I've ever sat there on a the day when we're playing Liverpool and been like, yeah, I'm really excited for the football. Even when um, even when we were, we were a force and, and, you know, and they were in that transitional period, I still didn't look forward to it. Because it was one of those that you always had the inkling that they were going to get a result out of it. Just like with, um, you know, City were the same back in the day. Um, but yeah, look, take nothing away. The last night's performance was was top notch for, from us. Um, it seems that when we sign a player from Real Madrid and bring them out in, in front of the crowd before a game, we go on to play really well. So maybe we need to do that most games. Now you think back to when we unveiled Rafa Varane in front of uh, Old Trafford and then went and hammered Leeds five one. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's the key to success. And maybe like you say, you know, everything we mentioned in the podcast. Maybe Ten Hag is listening. Um, and he went, you know what, there's some good ideas from the lads there. So uh, maybe I'll put them into practice. Um, but we'll, we'll get a bit more into the game and we'll, we'll dissect it. So first off, obviously, the team selection. There's some some big calls were made by Ten Hag last night, you know, dropping club captain Harry Maguire, um, which probably didn't come as a surprise to, to most people. Um, obviously, dropping Ronaldo is a big one. Um, and we saw Malassia get his first competitive start for the club. Um the big cause then, Luke, do you reckon he was vindicated in his in his decision? Do you reckon it was the right choice to make at the time? I know obviously the result seems to say that, but if we go back to just sort of pre-game, do you think that Ten Hag made the correct decision? Yeah, I think that you've got to remember that Ronaldo hasn't had a proper pre-season. And if you just take away results and think of it as um, a sports science point of view um, and things like that, you know, his age, of course, and the way United wanted to play. You know, it's not that big of a deal that Ronaldo didn't play, in my opinion. I don't I don't think too many people were that surprised. It could have gone either way. Um, but, you know, it's results time already. After two defeats at Man U, you've got, to, you've got to then pick up results. But I think that he's made the right decision there. You know, we don't know the ins and outs, how Ronaldo's feeling and training and, and all the rest of it. So that's nothing to... I hope he doesn't get too down about it and, you know, he'll be played in the very near future. I'm, I'm 100% sure of that. Then the Maguire one, again, it's, it's changed because in the last 20 years, I would say 20 because that's since my first game, you'd never drop a captain. But now everybody, when the captain gets dropped, obviously you use the phrase, you've dropped your club captain, which kind of um, magnifies the situation. But nowadays there's a lot bigger squads Lots of players to, to fill 
different shoes. And although his price tag was huge, um, I think after last year and the mistakes he made, he is droppable. You know, he's not at the peak of his career. He's not having the best of times. Things like that can happen. And um, again, I think that he'll be used lots. Hopefully he won't um, be too downhearted about it and he'll buy into the whole club's philosophy and the whole season. You know, it's a long, long season. It could be two games he's out for. It could be, you know, 15. He's not a regular starter, but that's just the way it goes. And especially at the moment with these big squads. So I think that Ten Hag was brave and assertive to make these decisions and it paid off for him because obviously the guy played well and you know, the way he manages his whole squad, he, he used that in his interview after the game a lot. He kept saying squad um, instead of team. And he's dead right because you could end up playing 50, 60 games and need everybody on board. So, you know, fair play to him. He deserves all the credit from last night. He didn't take the credit. Again, I heard him speak after and he said perfectly about the next game and the next game. He didn't emphasise too much on tonight's last night's result. And he was very modest about it. So, you know, he knows that there's a big few weeks ahead now and they've got to do it over and over again. I think if United had played like that last night and drawn the game, fans would have been happy because, like we've said, they pressed. They were aggressive from the start. Um, and then positive going forward, forward with numbers. So... Yeah, you know, the, the, the change is paid off for him, Jamie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think there's anyone that can sit there and say that they didn't pay off for him. But Wayne, would you say that Eric Tenag was sort of forced into making those changes rather than it being necessarily him, him sitting down from a tactical standpoint and thinking, this is Liverpool that we're playing against. These are the players I'm going to bring in to get the best out of them. Do you reckon it was more a reflection of the two games that we'd had prior to this and he's his hand's almost been forced into saying, right, well, we're clearly not performing with these players in the team, so I'm going to make some changes. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think you look at Martinez, I think that was a brave call because, I mean, he was absolutely slowed last week. So Martinez he kept his place against Liverpool. You know what I mean? So I think that was a massive a massive call from... We talk about the players that he dropped, the ones that he kept in, and those decisions were just as important. Um so yeah, Martinez obviously played outstanding as well. In in link with Malassia, I thought that was the most impressive area of the pitch, considering that's their first massive game in English football and they played as a pair on that side. Um the, the one thing I would say about Tenorg is even and I think we, we did sort of touch on this on last week's podcast, even if we say that he's got an error, he's at least looking at those errors and trying to correct them quite quickly. And he's doing that within games. So his selection and he's making changes at half time and then he's making the switches before the next game. And then he's not afraid to make two or three changes at half time again. He keeps doing that. And obviously then the changes before before yesterday's game. So in terms of like him being forced to do it, I just think what you're seeing is a very proactive manager. Yes, they look like reactive changes, but you've got to remember that he's brand new in the setup. He's giving all the squad and this is a really important point that Luke made, and these are the, this is why it's good having a, a pro on to talk about these the subtle nuance in the way that he's talking about squad and the way that he's talking about the next game and not concentrating on the Liverpool game. These are subtle but significant mentality shifts in the squad that you're going to need from a manager. He's getting the squad on side, and he's talking about every game needing to be at that standard because, yeah, it's all right seeing it against Liverpool, but the problem is that we didn't see it against Brentford and against Brighton. And if you've got a team with that attitude playing against those teams, then you've won off the battle because because of the way that, you know, those teams came out to play against us. So these are the things that he's identifying. They look reactive in the moment because they are reactive to defeats and poor perform uh, performances, but... They're as proactive as a new manager can be in that situation, and so brave. Like I mean, like Luke said, you know, dropping the captain it wouldn't have been a thing, and and he's gone and done that, knowing as well. I mean, probably more people were talking about dropping the captain than they were dropping Ronaldo. You know, in, in terms of it being such a statement to make, um, I actually thought not picking Martial was a brave move considering that he dropped Ronaldo, he yeah. didn't start with Martial because he knew that he wasn't fit. He didn't just say, oh, we'll just put him in. He played Alanga. Alanga rewarded him in the first half 
yeah, yeah, he missed that chance. It wasn't an easy chance to take, but he had it, it was a good effort. And then he made the smart switch at half time. Again, the temptation might have been to bring on Ronaldo, but he brought on Martial, moved Rash Rashford, and it paid instant dividends, which tells you there was a game plan. There was an actual game plan, and it was executed brilliantly. And those players now are gonna have considering their confidence would have been on the floor a week ago. Now they know what they can do, you know, and, and that's all that's all a product of the manager making all the arse decisions that he's had to make. It's hopefully going to create a more um, positive working environment for them. And yeah, I, I've been massively impressed with everything. Even in the when we were talking last week, can we be critical of ten odd tactics? Well, I think today you've seen is well last night you saw his approach is reaping dividends. He's, yes, he's, absolutely. he's adjusted, like like we said, like he his mindset was the way Ajax have played, the way that they've played in pre-season. So why wouldn't he go into the first two games playing short, playing how, you know, tic-tac football? But he's adjusted and that's what the best managers do. And what we spoke about last week was let's hope that he sees and goes, do you know what? I'm not too proud or I'm not too uh, ego-driven to say, no, it's my way or nobody's way. He's gone, actually, that's not worked. And Liverpool are really good at pressing. Bam, we're going long, we're going long. We're going to press the team. And he did that and it's so good to see because hopefully now... He, he continues that, maybe not for every game, because certain teams might be easily played around at the back. But if you haven't got the top, top class players to do that, you have to find another way. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to come back to something that you said earlier as well, Luke. Um, just in, And you mentioned it there about we decided not to play out from the back short from, from David De Gea. We were sending it long. For David De Gea, based on the fact that in the two games that he's played so far this season, you know, he's conceded six goals. Brentford, he was, you know, undeniably poor um, in the performance. Last night, he barely put a foot wrong, though. You know, we were seeing David De Gea back to his sparkling best in terms of his reactive saves. You know, there was that one sort of around the, I think it was around the 60th minute mark, you know, just that little that little foot that he just got to the ball just to keep it out. Um, you know, the goal they scored, granted, was a, was a slight defensive error from the team. But... How much would it have taken for De Gea to dust himself off after the, the two performances so far, knowing that you know the spotlight is well and truly going to be on him um, against Mo Salah, who has enjoyed so much freedom against us um, the last few times he's played us? What what would he have been doing sort of pre-game to hype himself up and to get himself into the mentality to put in the performance that he did last night? Oh, good questions there, Jamie. I thought you were going to leave the goalkeeper questions out, but my, <laughs> my, my friends you can't do that. Right, so when I say trust me, he would have been very nervous about last night. Although he did play well in the second half, made a few good saves, I think you could see that he was more than happy to go long with every kick. I think he was very safe in what he was doing. Little tiny things where maybe he could have like clipped a ball here, but he was just going long. Um, he made a couple of good saves. One I thought was a really good save until they slowed it down. Um, to his right, where it kind of like sat nicely for him. And he, he even gave it one of those to say that, you know, it wasn't anything special. It was just out for corner. And I was gutted because obviously he made a good sharp save for the goal and um, Salah was quick to react and it was good header, to be honest. Um, so you can't blame him there, but he'll be very relieved. But in that last 10 minutes, he would have been extremely nervous because as a goalkeeper, when you've made really bad mistakes, like he did against Brentford, you know, it's no, it's no, um, it's, it, 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 it was horrendous goalkeeping against Brentford and he would have known that. You know that if you go out again and play poorly or concede a bad goal, you could be dropped. And it doesn't matter who you are, especially when he sees Ronaldo and Maguire being dropped. You know, it wouldn't have surprised me if he'd have made another error, say, last night, or it cost him the game that he could have been dropped for Heaton or whoever for the next one because that's the way it is. And especially at Manchester United, and like I said last week, it's the hardest position in the football world, Manchester United's goalkeeper. And I think he has... When you get a couple of games under your belt after a mistake, it's great. So to, to answer your question, yeah, he would have been very nervous and he would have... Um, it's great that he's got through it, not only with a win, but with a few good saves as well. So I'm pleased for him. I'm pleased that whoever's, you know, sorted the the stuff at the back has made that decision because it doesn't need to be blown up. But he's not that goalkeeper who's going to play tap 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 round the back and make 
angles and sharp passes like Allison and um, the Manchester City goalkeeper. So it's great. You know, it's quite clear that he's hopefully will continue to go long and they'll pick up pieces. So brilliant player. Yeah, brilliant. And of course, I've got to ask you the goalkeeper questions. I can't be leaving them out. It'd be uh, wasting the opportunity, wouldn't it? Um, so yeah, Wayne, obviously De Gea seemed to have turned a bit of a corner last night. I mean, there were last night's Liverpool team, you know, with Darwin Nunez missing, there weren't many sort of high balls being sent in for, you know, a centre-forward to attack because that wasn't their sort of game plan. There were a couple of times when Trent put a ball in deep into the box and we still didn't really see De Gea come out and, and commit to those high claims. So do you think that if we do come up against a team that are maybe playing a bit more of an aerial game, that De Gea might still struggle in those? Or will this game boost his confidence to the point that he'll go back to doing the basics really well and that'll be enough to get him through? I think with De Gea, he's always... The thing that's, you know, a great testament to the fact that he's played nearly 500 times for us is the fact that he can recover from blips. And he's got the confidence to do that. And Luke will tell you that you need that recovery and arrogance in a goalkeeper to be able to do that. He's never been that kind of goalkeeper to dominate his box. So I'm not too concerned about that so long as we get what's in front of him right. Um, it seemed yesterday like Martin was almost being reactionary in a sarcastic way, the number of headers he was trying to win. You know, like, oh, you're going to criticise me. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll head everything that I can. Um, which he did brilliantly, by the way. Um, it, it, I think as far as United are concerned, yes, that was the best game plan to beat Liverpool, you know, push out long from the goal kicks and playing behind like we were doing with Rashford and Martial. But those are United's strengths anyway. You know, it's not just against Liverpool and so we've got to be be um, pushing forward with that kind of mentality anyway. As for De Gea, I'm really not, I'm not as um, concerned with him as a lot of people seem to be. Yeah, his form has gradually decreased in, in um, quality over the last couple of years, but I, I'm not still concerned. I'm, I'm really not massively concerned about him. I don't think it's a massive emergency at the moment, as long as we don't play to his weaknesses which we have been doing and we were doing last season. As long as we, as a team, know that all these individuals have got strengths and weaknesses and that we don't sort of play to the poorer parts of our game, then um, I think De Gea is still an incredible goalkeeper for us. And, you know, yeah, like we said, some of, it wasn't that the saves were brilliant last night, but his composure was fine. Um, yeah, he would have been nervous, but he didn't show it. And, you know, that helped a very composed defensive display, even though we were put under a lot of pressure. Um, I'm, to go back to the original point, though, what you made, I'm not really concerned about whether or not he dominates so long as the defensive structure is right. Um, it's never never really been able to do that anyway. Yeah, brilliant. Some good insights there on, on De Gea. So just moving then slightly forward, you know, we, we, we've already spoken a little bit about Martinez. Um, that partnership between him and Varane last night seem to work wonderfully. You know, we can sort of understand a little bit more now why Martinez had the nickname The Butcher when he was at Ajax. Um, it was a proper no-nonsense classic centre-half performance. You know, he was rattling Mo Salah a few times. There was that bit, you know, where he just bumped into him off the ball. Um, and I, I agree with what he's saying. You know, the ball would be coming sort of a foot off the ground and he'd be sticking his head in there just to head it away, just to really get that head and accuracy um, statistic up a little bit. Do you think the partnership then of Varane and Martinez-Luke is that potentially Eric Ten Hag's best centre-half partnership? Do you reckon we'll see it a little bit more? They both seem to work well together. You know, Varane um, doing a lot more of the progressive uh, carrying out from the back. He was, he was winning his aerial duels. Firmino was was silent the whole game, you know, and I know Firmino's not necessarily that type of centre-forward anyway. But then Martinez doing the clean-up. He did a lot of the dirty work um, and neither of them really put a foot wrong. So do you see us starting most of our Premier League games if they're both staying fit with those two? At the moment, you do, but you've got Maguire to come in there. So you've got the three battling it out. I, I, I think that Varane really has to step up now. I think he has to step up and be the best player on the pitch or within the top three or four best players on the pitch in, in seven out of ten games every week. Because at Real Madrid, and it's such a strange one to compare it to because Casemiro is being compared to that and there's so many good players around you obviously when you're playing with Ronaldo scoring 35 goals a season Modric you know like it, the list is endless endless so many great great players 
you can, I'm not saying hide, but you can kind of get away with certain performances. But now at United's exact moment, we haven't got world beaters, I'd say, in the team. And Varane, is, it, it's your time to really step up now and be that leader. And I mean be the leader by the performances, not by this and, you know, all the antics that go on. I mean really step up, do things simple, do your job as a defender. And I think that would be a huge, huge help to the club. I think he would he's the man to really step forward and, uh, and, and, and command performances now. And I'd like to see it because, you know, I saw him at Real Madrid for years and I think that he was talked about as, you know, the next best defender ever. But then he kind of, you know, surrounded by these superstars. So now we've, we have him hopefully for, you know, a good few years to come. I'd like to see him step up every week. And, and the test is when you go to Bournemouth, when you go to um, cup games, you know, the, the so-called smaller teams, when the weather's poor, you know, we need these players to step up like uh, like they did last night, not just in the big, big games, but in all these other games. And I think that there's a few signs of the Manchester United um, will to win in last night's performance. But everybody at the club will know that, you know, it's one night. We've really got to start cracking on um, winning these little away games at so-called smaller clubs because... We, we all know that to get in the top three or four, which, you know, sounds like a mountain to climb, but um, there's no night off. You can't have a night off. And I think that collectively as a, as a squad last night, it was fantastic, but there's still that worry and they'll have that worry going into the next game that, you know, will we slip back into it, you know, when there's not 80,000 and an electric atmosphere. Because it can't be like that every week. The atmosphere can't be like that. So, I don't even know who they've got next, to be honest. I feel like I'm a bit of a fraud. Southampton. Where at? We're away. We're at St Mary's. Perfect. I'm, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it's St Mary's, St. Mary's anyway. One of my favourite yeah, grounds. Yeah, I'm guessing that. Yeah, perfect. Great next challenge. Yeah. Well, and that's a spot on point. And, and this comment here from Ben is something that I was speaking about last night, is that I don't think that necessarily last night was really the... The, the, the sort of the massive beacon of everything that we want to see happen, the game against Southampton is because they've shown now the benchmark of how they can perform against Liverpool, like you say, in a game that is easy to get riled up. You know, they would have been in the dressing room beforehand. Um, you know, this is this is this is Liverpool's, regardless of how bad we've been at the minute, there's no excuses for us to be um turning up against our most bitter rivals. You know, it's arguably the biggest game in world football. The only game that really compares is probably El Clasico. Um, so it is easy to get themselves riled up it's whether or not they can continue now and I think for me the biggest test um, of this squad's character is whether they can take that through what, what do you reckon Wayne do you reckon the game against Southampton will prove to us whether or not this squad has turned a corner or can you see us sort of reverting back to, to old habits I don't think it can be definitive either way um, obviously if, if it's a negative response then yeah you, you say same old United but I think the, the major um, thing to take away from it is in what, going back to one of the very first things Luke said, which I, am, I mentioned earlier, is the way that Ten Hag's dropping the subtle messages in there, you know, like it's a squad, the next game's the important one. Because United for five years, probably longer, have really suffered with this. First of all, I mean, it's all the post-Ferguson uh, post era in which teams came to Old Trafford and they've you know, increasingly became confident of getting a result there and playing well and not even having to play well, just have to be organised and defensive and hard to break down when United have struggled. Um, and, and they've got good results against us. You know, teams have got results against us that haven't for generations. Um, so that's one issue. Um, and Ten Hag seems to be addressing that. We're talking about years of psychological problems with the squad and with the even with the way that the the crowd responds to certain stuff you know what i mean because the crowd have been getting on the, the team's back and they need to be seeing um they need to be seeing something different and i think that's where you know bringing in the two or three new players so you're not necessarily on their back straight away you're going to give them a chance to come good and that's, that's something that's conducive for more healthy and support um it is a, a really complicated thing, and I don't 
even if we play well against Southampton, we've won say, oh, well, that's two games now, we've definitely turned the corner. It's so deep-rooted at United that you're going to need to see like four or five months to see a complete culture change. And, and at least you know that the manager's leading that and he's not taking the Liverpool game as like, oh, this is a massive result for us, it's going to make a massive difference. Whereas you might, Solskjaer might have got carried away in saying something like that, you know, because you know, he was so supportive of the group of players, he would always talk up their performances. Ten Hag's been very pragmatic with that. And not pragmatic in the way that Van Gaal and Mourinho were, you know, they'd set out not to lose games. United didn't yesterday, they set out to win and they set out to play um, progressive football, even accounting for the, you know, the sort of flaws that they've got in the team. They still went out to win the game and they created a load of chances, which was incredible to see and it's not really it's a Manchester United problem because that's the systemic thing that we've had for years but it's not um, for Ten Hag it's his problem do you know what I mean so as long as he's got my mind takes me back to when I'm sure we've all seen the interview even though you guys are a bit younger than me so you won't remember it happening in real time I don't remember it happening in real time but the interview where Fergie was um, at Aberdeen and he's on the Pitch after the Rangers Cup final, and he was saying the performance was a disgrace. Blah blah blah. I'm not saying obviously Ten Hag's not being quite that critical, but the point I'm making is he's got his own standard, so it doesn't really matter about Manchester United's standards in this point. He, he's saying my standards are we, we playing well in the next game, and that's what United needs as a squad. And I'm being very optimistic with that, like you know, obviously, I'm, I'm in a good mood this morning. So um optimistic that um we're seeing I know that. you've actually smiled twice in the last hour. <laughs> yeah. Which is, is ecstatic for those watching. This is Wayne's most excited face. So this is that's great to see. I, I did notice that though when he's um I, obviously I know the interview you're on about with Sir Alex Ferguson, it's quite iconic, but um another thing that Ten Hag said afterwards. Um, Wayne, that I know you didn't hear because you were at the game. And he said this to Roy King, which is the best thing you can say to Roy King. He would have been purring. Again, he doesn't smile a lot either. But he said about actions rather than words. And I know they all want the interviews after the game. And that's what was great about it. He didn't get carried away and said, yeah, we did this, we did that. They want performances and they want actions rather than speaking, speaking, speaking. And Roy Keane was, I mean, I had Roy Keane at Forest and the amount of times he said that, like, all this chat, blah, 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 go and do it, go and do it on the training pitch, go and do it on the, on, on the game day. That was his most um, favourable quote, if you like, to the players. He was sick and tired of, you know, speaking about it. And I've heard him on Sky Sports do the same. But I think that's now the message. I, it'd be nice to kind of go under the radar as a football club a little bit. And I know that's impossible when you're a Manchester United fan, but, you know, let the others do the noise. We're obviously kind of not talked about as doing anything this season. It'd be nice to get a few results here and there, Southampton and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you're in a good position. But I think I just read a comment because from Michael Pieri, and he was on about Casimiro going in, more control. So I, I totally understand and but you have to remember new players come to a new league. It doesn't always happen as easy as people would like. So there's new players that played last night um, and Casemiro is no different. It doesn't matter how much it costs. He's going to a new league. It's completely new surroundings. You know, it might take him a few games. And I think that Tomney was excellent last night. And I also think that Ericsson could be one of my favourite United players. I said to my friends, I wish that we'd gone for him straight away before he'd gone to Brentford because for me class like him who's coming back from that horrendous um, incident for Denmark would have been class straight away and I would have loved to give him the faith as a football club and said look come to United you you come with us you'll be fine and he would have produced the goods last season as well but um, it's brilliant to have him on board there is a certain touch of class with certain players, the calmness and flipping out Ericsson, you can just see the calmness in him. And I think he's going to get better and better as uh, an asset for Manchester United. And I think he's going to be superb. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with spot on there. And it brings us nicely on to, so I want to just talk about the midfield um, for a second, because when the team sheet came out and I looked at the midfield three of McTominay, Ericsson and Bruno, 
to me, that midfield looks like it shouldn't work. There's, there, there isn't a lot of balance in that midfield. You know, we know that McTominay isn't the defensive midfielder that everyone seems to assume he is because of his, his build and his stature. He, he, he does prefer to, to sort of be a box-to-box a little bit more. Ericsson playing a bit deeper, um, putting in some, sort of, you know, having to do some of the dirty work, and then Bruno as the as the lone ten. But for some reason, it did work last night. I agree with you, Luke. I think that Tomane was was very assured last night. He was quietly um, one of our best players. He, he he swept up quite nicely and he stopped things going past him with a lot of ease. Now I know that people have always, you know, have been a bit hit and miss with McTominay and and I've been I've been a, a critic of his in the past as well. But there was something about that midfield way, wasn't there? Like, what do you think it was about that and about last night's game that allowed us to play with Bruno and Eriksson in the same midfield as, as Scott McTominay? No one really necessarily with the role of doing the dirty work, but something about them just clicked, didn't it? Yeah. Um, McTominay, for me, um, Luke's quite right. He, he was exceptional. I would even say, I'd go as far as to say it was one of his top three performances for United. And, and he really needed that at that moment in time. Economy again, we're all just re quoting Luke's quotes from earlier in the podcast here. But the economy <laughs> of some of the play so Varane's economy of play, keeping it simple, but McTominay as well, just keeping it simple. Um, something that really seemed to stand out to me was the combination play. So I know Varane, he had a couple of wobbles in the first half, but he got away with it. And when he got away with it, Dallo were covering for him, and as soon as they got the ball away. They were high fiving, you know, like they were clearly in sync, you know, and you had that all across the back line. You're starting to see little combinations where it looks like three or four players in those areas of the side on the pitch are aware of their own responsibilities in those areas. So they're all playing for each other. I and mean, McTominay was part of that, Bruno was part of that, Ericsson was part of that. And there were a few shifts around as well because Bruno moved position a couple of times. Ericsson, like Luke said, is is class and he does all the simple things which we you definitely can't take for granted considering what we've seen from the United side over the last two or three years. So the fact that he comes in and does it and his delivery is all like nine times out of ten he's just spot on and you just take that sort of stuff for granted really when you see how consistent he is with it. But you know how, how we can't because how often he's been missing for us. So to see a player come in and just do the basics right is a breath of fresh air but to, to return to the point about the midfield i think it was more to do like uh, what i was saying with the with the combination where you have the defensive combinations helping them and the the attackers always looking to move in behind the defenders for the liverpool defenders so the the option was always on to play a long ball and united in that kind of game they're going to press high. Liverpool were always going to press high, so they needed to have an option to release a long pass, and they did it so often. And it created probably four or five big chances for us. Um, and I think it came down to that combination play, really. Um, not necessarily the, the midfield combination, which I still don't... In terms of controlling the game, they didn't do that, you know, because they, they didn't have the quality to do that. Bruno's not as comfortable in possession as Ericsson. And McTominay isn't as comfortable in position as either of those. But once you get McTom- uh, once you get er- um, Castamiro in there, and he's got the combination with Ericsson, you've got two players who can keep hold of the ball. And Bruno, his, his risk-taking becomes something that you can accommodate more because you've got two players who are better at keeping possession. So the, the more established these connections and um, little combinations, from, like, obviously United's play is going to improve. Um, so yeah, I, I was just, I thought that kind of level of performance in nine days was impossible and somehow Tenog managed to do that. So it's a testament to the players. I don't want to say it's all on the coach because the players definitely, we've given them enough stakes though. So let's give them the praise that they deserve because they were brilliant last night. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, they all executed um, the game plan very well. And I think with McTominay as well, something that, that I noticed was, I think he was given quite a specific job to do last night. And like we said, you know, he did it He did it very well. And I think one of the problems that he's had before, especially when he partners with Fred, is that neither of them necessarily know what their responsibilities are and what the other person's responsibilities are. So we end up with both of them attempting to do the same thing when one of them needs to drop in as the other one progresses and vice versa. Whereas last night, like you say, he had that, that pocket that he was in. That was his zone. 
And I noticed exactly the same thing that you, that you noticed that the, the sort of the triangle of him, Varane, and Dallo worked really well in connection with each other. There was quite a few little um, passes being made to get out of trouble, um, and it was a, a much more assured performance. Um, you know, one that you can understand why Mourinho created a trophy to give to him because there clearly is a player in Scott McTominay. Do you know what I mean? Um, it obviously gives us a bit of a, a selection headache. Like Luke, I'm going to come back to you in a sec. Um, I know you said obviously. It's, it's, it's always tricky when new players do come in and it can take time for them to gel. But with Casemiro coming in and, and the performances we've seen him putting for Brazil alongside Fred, um, you know, it keeps Fabinho out of the side for that Brazil team most of the time. It gives us a, a better selection um, palette to choose from, I suppose, is the, is the correct term. But it also potentially gives us a bit of a, a selection dilemma, doesn't it? Because we saw that, like you said, you hit the nail on the head. Ericsson oozes class. He's very good at doing the simple things. It's nice to see somebody standing over a set piece and think, this might actually go in, you know. Um, that free kick that he had where um, Alisson had to tip it over the bar. But does Casemiro coming in allow Ten Hag to think a bit different about the midfield to potentially deploy us in different ways? And is it likely that we're going to see a few different midfield combinations throughout the season, Luke? Yeah, it gives you that those options. Um, McTominay might play his one of his best games, but it cost the club 60 million <laughs> because, you know, and that's what happens. There's a knock-on effect to every single thing that happens. And he would have been thinking, oh no, my run's over. Now he's going to come and, and knock me off my perch kind of thing. And Fred will be thinking the same, but it doesn't work like that. There's injuries, performance drops, and there's lots of different things that happen and loads of games to be played. Casemiro will probably be on the bench Saturday. Um, if I was a betting man, I'd say that would be the case because I think Ten Hag would be fair in his selection. Um, it'd be different if the game was three days after or two days after because, um, you know, he might rest players. But, you, you know, you've got to earn that position. It doesn't mean that you definitely start because you've come from another club and you cost them, um, a big lump of money. But, I think that the combinations have changed throughout the, the season, even at the back. Ronaldo will be in, Maguire will be in. Um, I think Bruno was, was great. I mean, I do, I do really rate uh, Bruno Fernandes. And it's great that they give him the captain's armband because yeah. he's obviously a vocal point. It drives me crazy. Um, I don't know if anyone listening agrees, but when he dives. And the dive in the second half was so annoying because the yellow card could cost us. But... I don't know why players do it so much now because they know that VAR's in place. And he would have brought, been brought up diving. He would have learned that from such a young age and it's just in him to do. And I understand that. But, you know, you can't just go down that easy um, now because the VAR will go back and go, actually, no, the referee got it wrong. And then yellow card for him. But that does drive me crazy because he does dive a lot. Um and I think that he needs to get out of that. But yeah, no, it's great that he's he was the captain and played so well and dragged dragged everybody around him um, through a great night's football. But it's going to chop and change all through the season, Jamie. Um, I actually think they might bring a couple of others in, um, not just Casemiro. I think they might bring a couple of others in that I've heard whispers of. And, you, you know, one game doesn't solve everything. I think that United will try and build such a strong squad and maybe there might be a couple of exits as well. Fred will get games, I'm, I'm sure of that. I think he's um, he's not just going to be like in the reserves and things like that. He'll get starts, especially in the Cup. Um, but yeah, it's time for United to crack on now and Ericsson, um Fernandez have really got to show their worth because, you know... I think they're a couple of fantastic players there. And if Casemiro comes and produces, that's a really, really good midfield. I'm, I'm especially happy for Rashford last night. He was, I mean, I thought it was offside. I had my head, head in my hands and I thought it was offside, but I can't understand those green lines. Maybe it's my eyes, but it was brilliant that he's tucked that away because that goal was so important. And Wayne, you, you must have felt it near the end as I did watching. When they scored especially, but even at 2-0, I thought, Mm, this is it's starting to creep in Liverpool's favour here. Yeah. And, you know, with, with that kind of side, they could have gone bam, 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 and we could have lost the game. But that second goal was vital in the in the win. So I'm so happy for him because they give it all the stats on TV. Oh, it's been this many minutes since he scored last. 
you know, he's a human and, and like the rest of them, they'll look at the negatives. But all of a sudden, he scores such an important goal. And hopefully, he can go bam, bam, bam and score a few more now because he needs that in his game. He needs that um, fight and desire to get on the end of things and really start helping United out up top. Because if Ronaldo's not starting, they'll be looking at him massively to fill that void. Yeah, he was um, not just the goal. It was a chance that he, he made for himself just after where he danced around three or four players and then yeah. the shot was wicked. Honestly, yeah. from where we were sat in South Stand, it was wicked and it looked like it was dipping in. And it was one of those, if it had gone in, he just closed the goal of the season competition now. And you know that the effects it would have on him because he's such a confidence player that it would elevate him to another level. And I hope that he does anyway because scoring the winner against Liverpool um, yeah, it is. It, there is something cathartic, and this is why there's a value in supporting. Because if you get behind a player, even and especially when it's a young player coming through and they've had a bad time, and they do something like that, and they're releasing, you you could feel it. You could definitely feel like he was like, "Oh my god, I've scored against Liverpool and we're two 0 up." There's a, a greater connection there. There's definitely a greater connection there, and you elevating the playoffs. I don't understand why, you know, like that's the fun of football, right? That's why you support the team because you, you get behind the team and, and they provide moments like that. Um, I definitely shared um, <laughs> your pessimism at the end. I was concerned that, you know, we're going to get a bam, bam, bam because Liverpool are so good at coming back as well. Um, but United was so good um, in, in sort of seeing that game out as well. Um, so little lessons that we've seen all along, I, I was just delighted with it that they, they were able to see it out and they were playing for each other at the end as well. But yeah, a massive moment for Rashford. Um, ben asks if we'd have to score that performance out of 10, what would you give it? And I'd probably give it an 8. I think that's quite... Maybe even 9 because we were overperforming um, considering what, you know... You could say the last 20 minutes Liverpool came onto us, but they're a great side. You know, you're going to weather a storm like that in a in a in a game like that. So um, I, I thought it was much above and beyond what I expected we were capable of. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just going back to talking about Rashford a little bit, um, we'll talk about the front three quickly. Um, for me, with Rashford, one of the things I love about him is that deep down inside him is just a kid that loves playing football. And that was always the sense I got with him. Whenever I watched him, when he first came onto the scene, um, up until that point where you know his injury started to get the better of him and he took some time out um, for his surgery. Whenever you watched him, he, he thrived off attacking the fullback or attacking a centre-half, trying to beat them. And that goal that he scored last night, for me, was just vintage Rashford. It was exactly what we loved about him when he first came on. You know, There was that goal against City where um, he spun out Martins and Michaelis and slotted it home and we went on to win 1-0. And for me, that that is something that we haven't seen from Rashford in a while. Is those sort of um, those those attempts? He was trying to beat players. You know, he did that little cheeky chop against Van Dyke. Um, we've seen them come off for him before against Van Dyke, um, and it did. It, it seemed like he was playing on a playground again with his mates, which is exactly what I want to see from Rashford. You know, I absolutely love the man. Um, and one thing I did like about the front three is that they clearly they know that Trent is their best outlet down the channels to try and get any joy because as exceptional as he is going forward, you know, he is there to be got at when it comes to attacking a defender. And I liked that we saw the front three, uh, whoever that was at the point, you know, whether it was a Langham um, or when Martial came on, they were interchanging and it didn't really give um, Trent any room to breathe. You know, Rashford had attacked him for a few minutes and then he'd swap over with Sancho. You'd see Sancho getting at him. Um, and that's something that I really do think gives us some joy against Liverpool. The front three last night all playing together you know and as soon as Rashford scored that goal and Tony Marshall started smiling and went over to him the, the little child inside of me got excited again because it was like that season where Rashford and Martial you know having a bit of playful competition between each other who can score the most goals do you think then Luke that this is a good platform for for Rashford and for Sancho you know Sancho's performance was, was, was very assured as well the goal that he scored was was ice cold do you know what I mean the composure for a young lad like that with the criticism he's had since he's joined United to do that against, um, you know, one of the best teams in the world, is this now the perfect opportunity for our front three to to, to kick on and to, to gain some confidence? Do you know what I've forgotten about S Sancho and um, 
Martial for a second. I thought they were excellent. I think that Martial, I think I said last week about his injuries, it's, it's disappointing that he got injured because he looks so sharp. I'm not going to say, oh, this could be the season where he's absolutely electric, but Martial looks like he's got a different kind of face mask on. And that would be sensational. And just before Sancho said that I scored, I said to my friend Michael, who goes to Stretford End every week, but he couldn't make it last night, so he came around mine. I said, there's a player in Sancho that isn't... You, you, you probably only got two or three in the Premier League. A little bit like Foden or Grealish, if you can relate to him. They're ball carriers. And I remember coming to watch um, Manu Arsenal last year when we won 3-2. And certain players and it's not about speed it's about ball carrying so it means that you can run with the ball just as quick as without the ball and certain players have that and Sancho's got that and he really really has I don't know his best position um, but I was so pleased for him because the way he took that goal and he said in his own interview last year that he wanted to compose himself and without the pressure and if you take off um, the weight on off your shoulders players like him will do amazing things like skip round Milner, have that little touch of his left foot, which then got it onto his right. It was actually a roll. If you slow it down, he rolled it, and it's with in one-two shot, and he placed it into the corner rather than lashing it. And I was so pleased with him because I think there's a really, really, really top player in, um, in Sancho, and I think Martial might thrive off that as well. And hopefully they get a good thing going, and all of a sudden you've got both wings... It could be electric with Alanga, who was who was really really good as well last night. I don't know why he came off actually. Um, maybe there was something that we don't know about, but obviously it's quite an early change. But um, Martial looks like he's pleased, he's happy, and you know all of a sudden you've got a half de- decent United team, and after all they might not get relegated. <laughs> Ever the optimist. I'm just, I'm yeah. still not quite there yet. You know we can still get dragged back into a relegation battle. Um, yeah. Wayne, then, yeah. So the front three. What do you think was different last night? Then you know because we've seen um, we've seen Rashford so far in the season. Sort of, he, he doesn't look anywhere near to his former self. Sancho, that like Luke said, you know, there's clearly a, a very top top player in there. And um, but again, he seems to have been lacking confidence. So what was it about last night that allowed them to just go back to what they're good at? And we saw from both of them that they did the things that they're talented at very well, um, and it, and it worked. So what do you think it was? that helps them. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, the, the critics might just say, oh, you dropped Ronaldo. So there was more vibrancy in that front line. I do think it goes back to something we are talking about earlier in, in terms of playing to the team's strengths, you know, getting the players behind the defenders. Um, because obviously that's what presented most of the goal scoring opportunities for us. And it does for any team, as long as you've got those kind of players in. Um I thought Alanga, like I said earlier, I thought he was good. But I, I agree with Luke again. When Martial came on, I and this is the thing, when you talk about the team as a collective, when you talk about the players as individuals, I didn't think that that performance was in them last night. And I certainly wouldn't have thought that performance was in Martial. I, I thought his, his games, his days of putting in those kind of performances against the big teams are over. Even though he's got the talent, I just thought defenders would figure him out. But that's the difference with confidence in a player. If they've got confidence, and they've got the ability to dribble. There was one point in the second half where Martial like, he started running into the box and I thought he was going to take on three or four players. And he had that tigerish determination. And you look at him when he plays like that and you think he's potentially unplayable against any team. And that, that it's kind of like a little trap that you fall into as a fan because you know that he's got that ability anyway. But we've seen that for like five or six years. That we know that he's got the ability it's the consistency to do it. Now, I think what he, the biggest thing that he's done, certainly in proving me wrong, is that he's proved that he can put in a top performance, a disciplined performance against the top team. So if he can add that consistency to it, um, then yeah, we, it is falling into that trap. We've definitely got a player there, but he's, he's so, so close to being world-class, really. He's got all the attributes to be there. Um, He's frightening that we've got a player who's potentially that good. Um, um, I, I agree. My, I told you, I think, my best friend has had told me from the start, Martial is going to be world-class. And I've said he's got attributes which people go on about, 
but he doesn't do it consistently and he doesn't do the hard yards. Last night he showed to me that he can be anything. And and not just, I mean, last night he played good. He didn't play like out of this world and score three goals or anything. But why hasn't he been World Cup? Like, why isn't he up there with the Ballon d'Or nominees like now? Because he's had the years. He's had the years and he's not like a young kid anymore. I don't watch United Old Trafford every week and I watch him on TV, but he's one of them who kind of like looks like he's always just, you know, doing a six, seven out of ten. And what is yeah. it with him, Wayne? Because like I, I get so frustrated with players who get spoken about so much and they say, oh, but he, he could be world class and he could be this, he could be that. Well, he's not doing it at the moment. James Milner, who like, or Gary Neville, they got the best out of themselves. Why isn't Martial getting the best out of himself? Like, is it just yeah. his, his DNA? Is it just the way he is? He's just chilled or or, or what? I, I don't know. It's a, this, I mean, yeah, it's the, the career-defining question for him, right? That's, that's basically what's going to define. The thing that I would say, and this definitely isn't making an excuse for him, He's had a lot of knocks at Old Trafford. Like he's been moved out of the spotlight. He was t- he had his shirt number taken off him. He had his position taken away from him. He was told to move in and out when when it seemed like the team was going to be built around him. He was moved out, and a veteran was brought in. You know, you've had Ibrahimovic took his number. Ronaldo came into play through the middle. All these kind of things. Yeah, I know that you have as a player, you either rise or you buckle to those kind of challenges. But they were significant challenges. I mean, if Ibrahimovic is brought in, he's playing. If Ronaldo's brought in, he's playing. So, you know, he was scrapping for a position in there when he could justifiably say that his performance prior to that was good enough to, you know, earn him. Because he played well in the season before Ronaldo. He played well in the season before Ibrahimovic. So there were certain things like that you can say you know, it affected his confidence. And yeah, I and the the rest of it, I don't know. It's clearly it's got to be a mentality thing because you know that he's much better than what he shows consistently. Um and it might be a case of getting the right manager. We've talked about, you know, everyone keeps talking about Cantona and how he was, you know, Ferguson had to be the right manager to and you know Old Trafford the right environment to to get the best out of him. But Tenog could well be the manager to to unlock the things that Martial's capable of because we know that he's got all the talent. And look, I'd rather have an informed Martial than Arnautovic. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I know it sounds like a, a, a no-brainer, but you've got the player there. And as long as he's, he's motivated and he's informed, then obviously it's a no-brainer. You want him in the team. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. And I think one of Martial's best qualities within that side is the way that he links the front three together. Um, people used to talk about um, Salah, Mane and Firmino, how Firmino was, you know, the most underrated and arguably the most important out of those three, you know, when they were really at their peak. And Martial, with Sancho and Rashford in that side, can operate in a, on an almost similar position. Um, we saw it last night with the ball that he played to Rashford. And again, Luke, I'm, I'm with you. I, I thought it was offside and I was sat there devastated because it looked miles off. And then all of a sudden this line comes out um, from Gomez's shoulder. And I'm like, all right, OK, never mind. Um, but his intelligence, his football brain is definitely there. It's never been a question that he's smart enough to play that role. Um, I think he'll thrive. If he manages to get a good run in the team, I think he'll thrive off having Sancho. Um, as well as having Rashford there. You know, we know that he can have a good partnership with, with Rashford, but I think that this is the season. If he's going to do it in a United shirt, it, it, this is sort of last chance saloon, isn't it? He's been at the club now for nearly seven years. He jo- was it 20, 2015 he joined us, wasn't it, under, under Van Gaal? Um, so this is his, his seventh year at United, and we now need to go from this thing of, oh, he's going to be brilliant, to he, he needs to show it. And I do, but I do think, I think Ten Hag could be the coach to do that. I think the way in which he operated Haller at Ajax and, uh, and got him to... Um, link the play as well is similar to potentially how we could see Martial deployed. Um, so it's interesting to see where we're going to fit and um, what Ronaldo does because I think it's very different. So we've just we discussed and dissected the Liverpool performance um, very comprehensively there, and I, I really enjoyed that. But I just want to quickly, just before we finish off, just move on to uh, a few other topics. Bruno came out after the game and was speaking about Ronaldo and said. Oh, there's a couple of things. There's one or two things that I know, but I'm not going to say you'll hear from Ronaldo when the time's right. 
Now, Luke, I know we spoke about this last week, and I don't want to do this thing where every week we're saying, oh, what about what's happening with Cristiano Ronaldo? But with him being dropped last night, the cameras kept panning to him, and there were times when he didn't look impressed. What do you think this means for his future at the club? Has he got one? Will he look, be looking for another club before the transfer window um, closes? And if he is still here when the transfer window closes, where does he fit into Ten Hag's side? He'll be looking for another club. So he'll still be holding out for that and there'll be clubs sniffing and God knows what sort of money thrown about just for his shirts um, and things like that. United, the thing is, as a business point of view, you have to show, if they want to get the top money for him, they have to show that probably they want to keep him and, and things like that. And I'm sure they do want to keep him, but you only want to keep a happy Ronaldo. You don't want to keep a, a, an unsettled and somebody who's going to be um, moping around the place. Because at the end of the day, he could be. You know, as professional as he is, he could still bring that negative energy, um, especially if the boys are doing well. I think that, I think that within the week that we last spoke, I think that now... Um, I can't see, especially from last night, I can't see United being uh, Ronaldo being a good bench player at all. Not this season. If it was in two years' time and he's still playing, then yes, but not this season. He has to be playing somewhere. Yeah. So from his point of view, all the hard work, the thousands and thousands of hours that he's put in to have the career that he has, he's not prepared to just say, oh yeah, I'll just sit on the bench and be a bit part player for the last year a team that's not even in the top competition. Um, so I can totally see it from his point of view. I don't know what Martial's on about. Um, there will be something come out, I'm sure. Um, and they might have promised them this said, that said. But at the end of the day, the business has got to be done. There will be people working on it. And to make all parties happy, there's going to be a lot of cash split somewhere. you know. And we may never know where it goes and things like that. But one of these clubs might say, OK, I'll give you this over this amount of time. Or if you know, there's a thousand things that can happen. But I think that what will happen um, is he will move. I really predict that he'll move to one of the world's top clubs. There's only about, you know, 10 options, I'd say. Um, he will move for the upcoming season, this season. I think that's what will happen. And that's probably what's best because... Um, he's he's not going to be used as much as he'd like to be used at United this year. I don't think so. And I think yeah. maybe if he does move, they might you might see another striker come in. Yeah, I yeah, spot on. I absolutely agree. And um, Wayne, do you think if he is still here when the transfer window closes, that there is a role that he can play in this in this side? Yeah, because he's Ronaldo. I just don't think it'll happen at this point. Anthony's closing in. They'll talk about another winger. Uh, Gagpo, and they're still not done apparently chasing De Jong. So, suddenly, when you see the way that we played yesterday, you know, you're already saying if De Jong comes in, then Ericsson probably drops out. So, United suddenly have a lot of great options there, certainly in the front line. If you've got Martial, Sancho, and uh, Rashford playing well, then, you know, Anthony and Gagpo are adding to that problem. So, um, it's going to be a big week for United. And in terms of like who comes in and who goes out, I wouldn't like to sort of make any predictions. Just like, wait wait and see what happens and then analyse it at the end of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, what I will ask, though, quickly, just to finish on then, because there's lots of talks of incomings and outgoings. Luke, if we could only make two more signings before the window closed, who would you like to bring in? Um... Um, 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 put you on the spot there. But do a follow. Wait, Wayne, you go first. Yeah, go on, Wayne. Um, I would go with De Jong because that's the one the manager wants, and Anthony because obviously he wants him as well. So they're the two that I would go with. Yeah, spot on. I think I'd have to agree with that one. Does that give you enough time to think, Luke? <laughs> no, I, I went too quick there. <laughs> he was very, I was going to say. Well, you can, tell, you can tell you can think about it. Well, you've left that question quite open. I feel like I'm on champ manager where I could literally just pick anybody in the world. So I'm going to go with that answer. So the first, my favourite player is Foden. So I think he's England's best talent over the last whatever years. I love the way he plays. So obviously that's not going to happen, but I'd say Foden. Um, and probably... 
Oh God, I'd get shot if I said that. But I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I just feel like so. This is. I just feel like Ronaldo. As much as I love him to stay, it'd be brilliant. And I think he could play half the season's games. He'd be and be happy, but he won't be. So in my head, Ronaldo's leaving. So we need to replace him with somebody who can head the ball because it's the one thing he can do. And the strikers we've got, you know, they're not great headers of the football. So, you know, you could go for someone like Mitrovic, who's like, who's really good at that. He could be like a good impact player, a sub player. You think of the goals he scored. I know it's in the championship, but, and he started off on fire in the Premier League, but he's on fire at the moment. He might relish that chance. I don't know what age he is. I think he's 30. Oh, is he? I thought he was like 20s. But he could be like, you know, like, I know not a Sheringham, but, you know, one of them older players who you think, oh, what a genius signing that was. Hungry, never thought he'd play for a club like this. But, like, someone like that, I'm trying to think um, another good example. But I think... Ivan Tony. Ivan Tony, he was at Peterborough. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I know him a little bit. That'd be unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Because he's on fire at Brentford. You know, and that, yeah, exactly. that's the kind of player who you know that if he doesn't start every game at Man U, he wouldn't be like raging. He could do a job. But I think there's some sort of genius move in there. I'm going to have to get my champ, champ manager out and actually <laughs> think about this. But yeah, I've not got an answer for you. So I'm not going to that was, that was spot on. I, did, I enjoyed that. Um, look, Luke, Wayne, um, it's always a pleasure. Um, really enjoyed this morning's chat. Um, thank you very much, everyone, as well, for tuning in. I um, hope you've enjoyed it. As well, remember to like, subscribe, um, and also to leave us a review if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Music as well. Um, we've got quite a few other shows coming up this week as well, so make sure you check out um, Talk of the Devils on Twitter to find out where they are. Um, and we'll see you next week. Hope you have a good week, everybody, and uh, we'll see you soon. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.